since we've been going through the, the book of Mark since January, um, one of the things that I've really noticed is that the disciples get a bit of a hard time, don't they? Quite often we hear about times that they've messed up and made mistakes and different things like that. And I don't know about anybody else, but I feel a little bit sorry for the disciples. I feel a little bit sorry for them because, you know, we kind of look at them from the 2,000 plus years that we've had of people writing about Jesus and writing about the life of Christianity, that, that these guys just didn't really have the, the information about or didn't have the benefit of those, those people that had studied it and written it and, and the community that we're all part of. And so I do feel sorry for a little, a little bit for the disciples and kind of think if I was in their position, I'd probably behave in the similar way, if not slightly worse than them. And what I want to do this morning is I want to unpack another little part of the, the, the story of the disciples and try and relate that to our own story as well. That's, that's the aim anyway, so hopefully we will get there. Uh, and so this week we're picking up the, the story in Mark chapter 9, verse 33. So if you have a Bible and if you wouldn't mind turning to that, that'd be great. Mark chapter 9, verse 33 to 41. And if you remember, last, if you were here last week, Ian was speaking on how the disciples uh, tried praying for a guy to be healed from being possessed by demons, but it didn't work and it failed. And Jesus challenged them on that and challenged them on their prayer life and, uh, and on prayer. And following on from that, we're coming to a story of how uh, the disciples were having an argument. But before we kind of just read out that scripture, I just want to tell you a little bit about a story that this reminded me of from when I was younger. So the story includes me. I was about seven years old. Obviously, that's a more modern picture of myself. I didn't want to get, get the baby photos out. Um, it involves my older sister and it involves my younger brother. The reason I used that picture was because every other picture of my brother either involved him in a group in a nightclub or something like that, or a picture on his own looking like a model. And I thought, if he used that, he's just going to show me up. So I wanted to use one where he looked quite, quite silly. But before I go any further, I want you to promise that if you ever meet my brother and sister, you won't speak to them about this, <laughs> because they might not speak to me again if, if they do know about it. Okay, so the story takes place in a long car journey. Every year, uh, we used to drive all the way up to, from Grantham, where I was born, and grew up to, uh, it's in Lincolnshire, to a, place, to, to a place in Scotland called the, the Promised Land of Glasgow. I love that city, I love going up there. But it's a long drive from Grantham, it's about seven hours from Grantham, including stops and things like that. And quite often, we would have arguments. We would argue between us, and mum and dad would quite often get cross and threaten to stop and give us a, a smack or what have you. Um, I've dealt with that, though. I'm okay. Um, but on this one occasion, we were driving up to Glasgow, and my brother, being the youngest, he's kind of the spoiled one, the one that kind of looks for what he can get from somebody if he's going to follow, if he's going to like that person. I'm the middle child, and I've got middle child syndrome, and I do play on that quite a bit. Uh, and my sister, she's the oldest, so she likes to lead everything and be in charge and bosses all about. And so this argument was between me and my sister, Kirsty, uh, and it was involving my younger brother, Tim. And the question was, Tim, who do you love more, me or Kirsty? Not a good question to ask a three-year-old as he would have been at the time. His answer was Kirsty. He loved my sister more than, than, than he loved me, which I found pretty hurtful. You know, I was the one that spent hours with him playing football and, and not playing so hard to give him a chance. But that was the argument. The argument was about 
about who, was the, who, who my brother thought was the greatest. And it was the argument between my, me and my sister to be the greatest in my brother's eyes. Not that that really mattered, because of course mum and dad turned around and said, Rob, just ignore it. He's just playing on it. He's playing on your emotions and all this kind of stuff. But it, essentially, it was an argument on who was the greatest and who is the greatest and who my brother thought was the greatest. And so now let's turn to the story that we're looking at today in Mark chapter 9, verse 33 to 41. I'm going to start out by just reading 33 to 37, and then we're going to come on to the, 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 verses, the other verses later on. But it says this, They came to Capernaum when he was in the house. He asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who, the, who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. So here we have a story of, of, uh, of Jesus and his disciples making a journey to Capernaum. And along that journey, they were having an argument an argument about who the greatest was. Now let's bear in mind that this argument took place just after the disciples had tried praying for this poor little boy who, was, who needed healing, but they hadn't managed to do it. So maybe that was the result of the argument. Maybe it's because of that that the argument happened. They're having the argument because of the failing of, the, of some of the disciples in the previous few verses. So you can just imagine the conversation between the disciples, one part of the, half of the disciples say, we're the greatest because we didn't fail to heal that boy. We're better than you because you did fail. Can you, can you just hear that argument and imagine what might be going on at that time? And Jesus probably overheard that argument and he asked his disciples, what were you arguing about on the road? But the disciples kept quiet. They didn't answer that. They didn't answer that question. Maybe because of embarrassment. Maybe because they, they didn't want to confess to Jesus what they were arguing about. And Jesus says to them, anyone who wants to be the first must be the very last and a servant of all. Quite a powerful statement there, really, isn't it? And it's a statement that got me thinking of this lady here. Mother Teresa, what a great woman that she was. She said, do things for people, not because of who they are or what they do in return, but because of who you are. So it doesn't matter who people are. It doesn't matter where they've come from, what they've done or anything like that. We are still called to serve, to serve everyone, regardless of, uh, of who they are. I don't know if anybody's heard of a guy called Shane Claiborne. Uh, he's a great guy, one of a, a, a bit of a hero of mine, really. Uh, and he actually went to spend some time with Mother Teresa in, over in India. And uh, one of the things he noticed was that whenever Mother Teresa got an influx of shoes for the orphans that she was looking after, she would sift through the piles of shoes and find the worst pair of shoes that she could find, and she would use those shoes. Regardless of the size that they were, regardless of the condition, she would use them, and she would give the best to the children that she was caring for. Now, that, that says to me that she loved those kids, and she was there to serve them regardless. Her, as a result of this, her feet were really deformed because of the inadequate footwear that she was wearing. She was a woman who put herself beneath the people that she was caring for. She was a servant to all that were in her care. And it's, she's a remarkable woman, and she lived 
lived her life by those words that Jesus spoke. Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. And then if we, just in the next few verses, Jesus again, he invites the 12 around him, the, the, the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles, he invites them around him and he begins to act out this parable. A parable where he goes and gets a child and sits his child on, on his lap. And he says to them, Whenever, sorry, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. And as I was preparing for this, I was reading a few commentaries. And one of the commentaries said that at this time, children wouldn't have, would have been one of the least in the community. The only people beneath children would have been slaves. So children were right at the bottom of that social hierarchy, if you like. But Jesus took one of the least, and he took them and he placed them on his knee and said, whoever welcomes one of these children in my name welcomes me. And they don't actually welcome me, they welcome the Father. And as I was preparing for this, I became really challenged. And the reason I became challenged is because it began to speak to, to my life and began to speak to me about what I was struggling with. And a few years ago, again, I'm going to uh, give a bit of a personal, personal testimony here. I really struggled, and I still do to some extent, with, with self-esteem. And uh, a couple of years ago, it actually caused me to take some time off work with stress. Uh, and the reason for this was because I felt that people weren't listening to, what I, to the ideas that I had, and people were almost ignoring that I was there and not actually picking up on what I could do or what I was good at. And it began to really impact me and began to really affect me and the person that I was. And all I wanted was for people to recognize who I was, people to recognize what I could do. But the problem was I was looking for it in the wrong place. I was looking for it from people and not from God. And I was more concerned about what people thought of me than I was about the lady that we used to live next door to in Eccles who regularly lived in darkness because she couldn't afford to top up her electricity. I'd got my priorities completely wrong, and I was more worried about who I was as opposed to who we were to look after and who we were to care for. The problem is that our insecurities begin to feed our significance. And my insecurities began to affect my significance. I began to forget about the people right beside me who needed love and who needed to be reached out to. So there's a question that I'm asking you to consider this morning. And it's not a rhetorical question, so it would be great if you shouted out any answers that you've got. And the, 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 and the question I'm asking now is, who in, the, in your community, who is the least? And I'm not talking generally, because we'll all have similar answers if we're talking generally. I'm talking about when you go into the office tomorrow morning, or when you go to wherever you work tomorrow morning, whatever you're doing tomorrow morning, who is the least in your community? The vulnerable. What does that look like, Anne? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Great, thank you. You'll go. Thank you. You'll you'll be in, will you? Thank you. So who else in in 
Who else in your community would you think is the least? In your office, in your, in your neighborhood? The homeless people. Yeah. <laughs> You're too slow, Neil. You're too slow. You just repeat it. Yeah. Okay, I'll just repeat Yeah, that's fine. And we'll wait for him to come back. Yeah. He, he is better, I'll be honest. <laughs> so who else, thinking about work, who else would you almost see as being the least? And it's quite difficult to think like that, isn't it? I, I understand that because it's almost being judgmental, isn't it? And I'm not asking you to be judgmental. I'm just... There are people who are perhaps on the, on the periphery and on the, on the edge of the, of the circle that we operate in that we perhaps need to reach out to and bring into the centre. So who are those people? That's, that's what I'm asking. The elderly, okay. Yeah. Okay, so those who don't live or look the way that we should do. Yeah. The clean, okay. Yeah. Because okay. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Great. Sorry, were you going to say something? Yeah. 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 Okay, that's a great answer. Yeah. So just for anybody, in case anybody didn't hear that, uh, we're talking then about how perhaps the porters in a hospital situation. Um, or the cleaners, that perhaps they feel a little bit undervalued and because of that are perhaps on, on the periphery, on the edge of that circle. And so in order to answer the, the question here of what does it mean to be great, well, it means to look out for the homeless. It means to look out for the vulnerable. It means to look out for the cleaners or the porters. And it means to reach out to them with the love that Jesus reached out to us with when he died on that cross all those years ago. And it's to love them with that unconditional love that he has as well. That's what it means to be great, or at least part of what it means to be great anyway. But the story doesn't end there. And if we pick up our Bibles again and look in uh, from verse 38 to 41, it says, Teacher, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said. For no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Truly I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. And so what we've got here is we've got a, one of the disciples, John, who is a little bit concerned because somebody else is trying to do something in Jesus' name. 
trying to heal somebody in Jesus' name. And he's a little bit jealous, perhaps, that this is happening. So he goes to have a moan to Jesus and says, why is this happening? This can't be happening. He's not allowed to do this, surely. He wanted to be just a, to be this almost circle of trust. Has anyone seen Meet the Fockers? I have to be careful how I say that. <laughs> anyone seen that film with the circle of trust? Yeah. And it's almost as if John wanted to have that circle of trust with him and the 12 disciples and wanted everybody else to be outside of that circle of trust. But Jesus was saying, no, that's not the case in my kingdom. Everybody, oh, there is no circle of trust with me. Everybody is invited and everybody is welcome. And then Jesus goes on to say that for, um, it says, Truly I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. Now let's remember that we're, we're living, uh, we're, this time they were living in a very hot climate. And so a cup of water would be something that would have brought refreshment to, to, the, to the person who was in need of it. And it's a simple thing to do. It doesn't take a lot of effort to go and get a glass of water and give it to somebody, does it? It was a small thing that, that Jesus was saying, you know, if we do that, we will get a reward in heaven. And so to be great, it's not just about welcoming people. It's, it's, that's part of it, but it's also about doing something about that welcome and about that love that we've got. And, you know, in today's society, we're not just talking about giving somebody a glass of water because, let's face it, it's quite cold in this country. And a glass of water might not be as refreshing. So I came up with just a few ideas to help us think of the small things that we can do that actually go a long way. And so we've got a smile. You know, a smile can brighten up somebody's day, can't it? A smile can really change the day that somebody's having. Or a wave or some sort of acknowledgement to somebody who might not have that treatment all the time. Making somebody a brew. We're British, aren't we? I nearly said English. I'm not English, I'm British. We're British. A brew goes a long way, doesn't it? A simple question of, how are you today? Just make, putting that time aside to ask somebody that question can go a really long way. And an encouraging text. Just getting on the phone and texting somebody and say, hey, thought you, oh, you're doing really well. Really miss you, can't wait to meet up again. Just a simple text to make somebody feel special will really help a person feel valued. And offering some time to help in whatever way we can. It's, they're all small things that we can all do. You know, we're not asking people to do big things here. It's about us doing the small things to make somebody feel welcome and make somebody feel special. So... The question we've been looking at this morning is, what does it feel, or what does it mean to be great? It's not about the things that we can do. It's not about the promotions that we have or the pay rise that we're after. It's not about the status that we're given at work. It's not about anything like that. What does it mean to be great? Well, it means looking out for that person who's on the, who's on the edge of, that, of, the, of the community that we work in and, and live in. It means reaching out to them and offering the love that Jesus had. Not forgetting about them, but welcoming in and, as, and to be part of us. It's not about the power and the status. It's about love and about loving whoever we come into contact with. It's about having an attitude of humility. Like Mother Teresa, who, who put other people before herself. 
so much that it probably brought her physical pain. And it's about doing things for other people. It's about doing that small thing that goes a long way. That, small, that smile as we're walking down the corridor or down the ward as we smile at a porter. It's about acknowledging them. It's about offering somebody a brew, a cup of tea or a cup of coffee. It's about sending an encouraging text to the person who needs to hear it. It's about opening our eyes and seeing who is in our community and needs our encouragement. And why? Well, if we welcome somebody, we welcome, we're welcoming Jesus as well. If we welcome the least, we're welcoming the Son of God. And if we're welcoming the Son of God, we're welcoming, welcoming God as well. And why should we do things for other people? Well, it says in the, in the text here, it says, um, truly I tell you, anyone who gives a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. We have a reward as well. And by doing small things for people in the name of Jesus will bring a reward as well. And as well, perhaps this is also a mirror of what God did for us. Perhaps this is a small way of explaining to us what God did for us. Because God loved us and accepted us as broken people. We would have been, or I know I was, I was one of the least. I was one of those guys that was on the edge of the community. But God stepped in, wraps his loving arms around me, and showed me that he sent Jesus to die on the cross so that I could be in relationship with him. So what we're doing by, by welcoming and loving the people on the edge of our community, and by doing those small things for them, we're doing what God's done. We're doing a little glimpse or showing a little glimpse of what God has done for us. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time together this, this morning where we've been able to focus on your word and work out what it means to us. And Lord, I want to pray that you would open all of our eyes as we go about doing our jobs this next week, wherever that might be, and whoever that will be with. But Lord, I want to pray that you would well, that you'd open our eyes and see who's on the edge of our community, who's on the peripheral, so that we could welcome them in and, and show them the love that God has shown us. And Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged to do something small, like smile or make a cup of tea, in order to show the great love that you have. Lord, we need you to open our eyes. Come and move in us this morning and move in us this next week as we try and, 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 and reflect the love that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen.